Welcome to Homeschool Companion, your source for information, motivation, and inspiration. If you're part of the homeschool community or simply interested in learning more about home-based education, stay tuned. Together we'll examine the latest resources, learning styles, and teaching techniques. We'll speak with experts in the field to help you uncover every homeschool advantage. We'll also present suggestions on how to keep Christ in the curriculum as we explore fresh ways to teach and learn. Here's your homeschool companion host, author, educator, and children's ministry specialist, Dr. Rose Gamblin. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. The title of today's devotion is The Dipper. When the waters had overwhelmed us, the stream had gone over our soul. Then the proud waters had gone over our soul. Blessed be the Lord who hath not given us as a prey to their teeth. Psalms 124, 4-6. The dipper that is just being discussed here is not the big deep dipper or the little dipper. Those are constellations in the sky. It is a bird about the size of a robin that lives along swift mountain streams. It appears chubby because of its very short tail. Its plumage is such that the tight-fitting feathers keep the bird from getting wet, even when it goes underwater. Although the dipper spends much time in the water, it is not related to any of the so-called water birds. It is a songbird belonging to the same order as thrushes, orioles, and sparrows. The dipper builds its nest as close to a stream as possible, even preferably a waterfall. The hut-shaped nest is on the shelf of a rock made of soft green moss. It has a hole in one side for the door. The moss is kept alive by the constant sprinkling either from the waterfall or by the bird diving into the water and then shaking off the moisture onto its nest. The dipper gets its name from a habit that it has as a baby. When a young dipper wants to eat, it signals its parent by quickly squatting and then rising up. When it grows up, the dipper will often continue to dip in this manner. But the unique characteristic that makes the bird famous is its ability to stroll along, immersed underwater, even while the current is running swiftly against it. Also, if it wishes, it can spread its wings and actually fly underwater just as it does in the air. The ability of the dipper to maintain itself in such adverse surroundings is a miracle. How does it keep from being swept away by the current that is too swift for most of us to even swim against? The same God that can give the dipper that ability can certainly help you and me to withstand the current of this world that sometimes seems so strong and it will sweep over us. But we have the promise for, from God that he will always be with us. Amen. And it's true. It doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. This world is an enemy-occupied territory, and we all have trials and tribulations. And sometimes we just want to give up. But when we rem remember these promises that God is there to help us, we are sustained to work again. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I hold up to you today this show I hold up to each listener, Lord, may your peace abide in their hearts. I don't know what they're going through, but I know I'm going through some fierce trials, Lord. Be with me and give me courage. And I just pray for our families, communities, 
and also our nation. Guide us, Lord, and return quickly. All this I pray in thy holy name. Amen. Ta-da! Arts and crafts. So in our arts and crafts section, I'd like to talk a little bit about experiential learning. And part of that is knowing where to find resources. Now, I've been collecting a number of resources in my Pinterest site, which is Pinterest, and my call letters are MRGamblin2, the number two. You can go there and go to the board called Windows on God's World, and you will find hundreds of resources. Today, we've put how to draw the bird called the Dipper. It's an aquatic songbird, the only one of its kind. We've also put how to, uh, we put a video so you can, you know, do a virtual field trip and look at one. The fun thing would be is to look at some of these birds and go out and see if you can find them by the river's edge or the lake's edge and uh, really identify. It's so exciting. I have seen kids just get so excited, excited about bird watching because we actually found some of the birds that we were studying. And if you have one of those clocks that give the sound bird song every time, I get to the point where I go, well, it's um, a horn build. It's a hoot out past a horn build. And they go, what? But they like that. So you, you want to have fun and enjoy learning. So have fun. Curriculum Corner. This week we're going to talk about emerging trends in homeschooling. And today we're going to talk about the fact that homeschoolers are learning how to incorporate community-sponsored programs. Very, very cool. For example, the Mozilla Foundation and the Microsoft Foundation, and there are probably others, they offer students digital badges for learning STEM concepts. These badges provide then a verification of the learning, and it's not tied to any particular school. This is fantastic for homeschooled students, especially if they want to build their college admission portfolios. So explore those opportunities, or if you are part of a homeschool co-op, encourage them to explore the opportunities for you. Uh, I hope to, in the future, give you some more great possibilities besides Microsoft and Mozilla. You might also find in Toshiba and John Temple Foundation. Some of those have been very friendly to STEM and homeschool education. Here's a question from Luis and Marisol from Texas. says, hi, I'm looking for homeschooling my 11th grader, but I don't know where to start. Any suggestions on what homeschool to use? Well, the question, you know, homeschool, the word means that you're going to homeschool them yourself. But I just wanted to remind you that there's people like me who really has a heart for homeschoolers. This year, we've piloted our homeschool companion virtual high school classroom and we cover just about every subject you can imagine and if you want know you to know more you can private message me at 
R Gamblin, that's all spelled out. R, G is in George, A is in Apple, M is in Michael, B is in Boy, L is in Lion, I is in Igloo, N is in Nancy, R Gamblin at homeschoolcompanion.org. And I can get you going with that, especially if you're pulling her out or him out right in the middle of the year. And uh, we'll help you out every step of the way. All of our staff are credentialed teachers. Uh, some of them have homeschooled their own children for many years. I myself have been homeschooled. And we're really advocates of homeschooling through high school. It's just sometimes difficult because once you pull your child out, it's hard to put them back in without having th- them start where they left off. Whereas if you just educate them as to the best of your ability and they get the knowledge they need, then they can go directly into college without missing a step. We're here to help. Hope that hope that helps. This question is from Gina and she saying, What should I teach for science and social studies? I have a nine year old and a twelve year old. And in the state of Texas we're not really required to teach science and social studies. So what should I do? Well, as a homeschooling parent, you want them to have a good foundation in social studies and a good foundation in science. And because kids are so naturally interested in those world, in their world, those two subjects fit right into student-led learning, inquiry-based learning, or project-based. And so I would have them each pick a project and they could, for example, if in social studies you wanted it to be about their state, they could draw the map of their state. You could, it could be political or geographical or combination of both. They could do a map of their state and then write a fax paper about their state and then something very interesting about their state that they never knew before. And then the next uh, time you can say, okay, we we discussed our state. Now we're, we need to discuss some of the other states. And it's amazing how much you learn about social studies by just going through the states. And then you can expand it to world the world. So social studies tends to teach itself. And citizenship too. If we're a good citizen in our family, we are we will be a good citizen in our church and will be a good citizen in our community and a good citizen in our state and a good citizen in the United States, if that's where you're from. So you uh, don't need to worry about that. I would definitely tie it in together so that they both can be working at their level, but maybe on a similar topic. So when they give their reports or do their PowerPoints, they can share something meaningful to the other child. Well, I've come to the end of my questions parents ask, and I want to talk a little bit about the person we're going to be interviewing this afternoon. In the next segment, we're going to interview Doug Hershey, and I apologize for getting my guests mixed up. I think I introduced this topic under another name last week, so please forgive me. Doug Hershey is the one who we interviewed about his book, Israel Rising. And now we're interviewing him about his book, Jerusalem Rising. It's a fascinating picture book about 
the changes that have happened over the centuries from Jerusalem. And it really does help a child see Jesus as a living person. So please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You have been listening to Homeschool Companion, a production of MRG Media. Be sure to join us on Facebook. Just type in the name Homeschool Companion. Welcome, welcome. I'm here with Doug Hershey, and uh, the book that's before me is a big book, a hardcover. It's titled Jerusalem Rising. And for those of you who know anything about prophecy, we know that it is uh, the center of so much conflict, first of all, and also that it's Jesus's beloved city. And so you, you're a photographer. Uh, I'm not a photographer. I'm an author. You're an author. uh, For both, uh, this is my second book with Jerusalem Rising in the Ancient Prophecy Modern Lens series. The first one was called Israel Rising. Okay. And so for both of those, I I did all the writing and all the research and found the old photos and all the locations and then hired on some pro photographers to to actually push the button. Okay. (laughs) So he's a, he is... The photography was done by Eden Ram. Uh, in, yeah, he's an Israeli guy. His name would be Eden Ram. Eden Ram. Boy, I'm not getting anything right here. <laughs> so when you open the book, what you're going to see is you're going to see pictures, and there might be more than one. Uh, you, will, you, you, you would see a picture from way back in the day, and then a picture of more modern times. So as you were writing about this, what did you learn? Or maybe I should start from the beginning. Why are you interested in a topic like this? Well, as you say, Jerusalem is a significant city for anybody who reads the Bible, whether uh, whether they be Jewish or Christians. And they're so unique uh, aspects about Jerusalem just in and of itself. Jerusalem is not like any other city just simply because God says so. So in the book of Psalms, he says that he's chosen Jerusalem as, a, as his home, as, as his dwelling place. In Zechariah 8, he says, I'm, t- I'm returning to Jerusalem to dwell with my people. And of course, Jesus referred to it as the city of the great king. It's a place where the Messiah will be ruling from. And so there's no other city on earth that can lay claim to really any of those things. So what really makes Jerusalem significant is the fact that God said so. Are you of descent? Or are are you of Jewish descent? My my family is Jewish. Yes. So you have a historical interest as well. You know, I, I'm looking on page twenty two at the chart that you have here, uh, beginning at five hundred and thirty nine to three hundred and thirty two BC, before Christ. Or they there's another name for it too that is used often. And um, but it goes back further than that, really. Yeah, and and what the the ancient prophecy modern lens series is about looking at this ancient prophecy, which for mm-hmm. for Jerusalem rising is Zechariah eight. So the timeline yeah. that you're, you're looking at is from the time that Zechariah spoke, you know, this these prophecies, the decree to go and rebuild. And well, it, it was it, part of Zechariah eight is God saying, speaking to Jerusalem specifically, saying, "I am returning to the city. I'm going to dwell with my people. Old men and old women will dwell safely mm-hmm. in the streets, and children will play." And there's a whole a whole list of things He talks about, um, which at the time 
uh, as as you're saying, it was a time when they were starting to rebuild, and I'm sure that the people at the time when he's when they he was saying things that sounded next to impossible of you know of of what Zachariah was saying for the people yes. at the time. Uh, they gave him hope, but they couldn't see how it could possibly exactly. And so happen. part of part of the timeline that you're looking at there on page 22 is all of the different changes in the in the rulership of Jerusalem since Zechariah spoke that until now. And if you compare this to Daniel's prophecy, which was many hundreds of years before this, Daniel started with the Babylonian Empire, which was the gold, but then the Persian Empire came in was the silver. Mm-hmm. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, I'm kind of asking this as a... As a question, and then you come into the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire. I uh, kind of we kind of skipped Greece in there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so we, it would be Babylonian, Greece, and then Persian. Yeah, and so there's point being is as we're looking through that that timeline there, there is so much that has changed hands, and. But again, what makes Jerusalem so significant is that it never becomes a capital city or a significant city, really, of of any other empire, any other people group. Uh, even when the Ottomans had it for 400 years just prior to the British Mandate, which then led into the reestablishment in 1948, you know, it was just part of the Ottoman Empire. It was it was sort of yes. forgotten and uh, sort of a backwater town. And it was towards the end of that time, uh, in 1867, Mark Twain comes through and describes Jerusalem as losing all of its former grandeur and it's depressing yeah. and I don't want to live here. I mean, you know, he kind of <laughs> joked about it. Um, but in Jerusalem Rising, we have old black and white photos that actually predate that visit from 1867. So when... That's when, really cool. When you read about Mark Twain saying, this is depressing and no one, you know, this is, you know, I don't, I don't want to live here. You can look at these old photos, some as old as 1844, 1850s, 1860s, and look at the photos in the book and go, okay, well, he wasn't exaggerating. This, you know, this is dreary and depressing i mean i just love to just look at the pictures but you have done a really great job of the commentary that goes with it now this one image the dome of the rock Mm. and this is a view from 1844 which is significant to america because you know that's when the stars fell and uh, when there was the belief that jesus would come back in 1844 but it did even though he didn't come back then it did spur a awakening the Mm. great awakening is during that time well what's also amazing about that in 1844 these are the oldest photos of jerusalem ever taken and and so a lot of these photos in here they've never been recreated before uh before this project and being uh someone of history of course then back in the mentioning the ottoman empire in the same year there was a census by the ottoman empire of of the significant cities of which jerusalem was included and so you have this. This was taken by a French photographer. Um, at you know when he's has yeah. these new state of the art camera boxes and the un, which is <laughs> yeah. daguerreotype photography. But my point is, is that the the same year that that these photos were taken in 1844 is the same year that the Ottoman census said there was only 15,000 people living in Jerusalem, wow. and the majority of those were Jewish. 
And so it's almost like God giving us a, a, a visual baseline of what he was about to do in terms of rebuilding the city, bringing the people back. And uh, it's really amazing just to see how God is, you know, uses these people from all of these different cultures all around the world to begin demonstrating what he's about to do and give us a baseline, even now, to look back and yes. go, God, you are, you're doing exactly what you said you were going to do. And, uh, you know, I like to, I like to imagine the holy city descending, you know, and the new Jerusalem. Mm. We can never forget that those prophecies in, in Revelation, the new yeah. Jerusalem. And so we look at this, and but there's someday going to be a new Jerusalem in this well, spot. What's what's amazing, some of your some of your listeners that might not know Hebrew, when you say Jerusalem in Hebrew, you pronounce it Yerushalayim, and the very ending of that word Yerushalayim, I'm exaggerating that that im sound is a plural. Okay. So quite literally, when you're saying it in Hebrew, Yerushalayim, you're you're really in English, you would be saying Jerusalem's. Okay. Because it's plural. In other words, it's more than one. Yes. So so John being a you know a good Jewish boy writing, you know, seeing these things in, <laughs> in Revelation, he's understanding these concepts. So when you're saying Jerusalem in 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 the yes. original language, you're actually saying Jerusalem's, meaning there's more than one. And that's what the scriptures talk about. There's a yeah. heavenly one and there's an earthly one, and at some point it's gonna be on earth as it is in heaven. Like those yes. two things are coming together. Yes. And so that's that's something that to me that's really special about uh, even just the name of Jerusalem that kind of speaks of prophecy and speaks of things that are going to be coming. And uh, as as a Christian, I would love to go there and walk where Jesus walked and mm. and really experience it now even. But not all of us have the ability to do that. And so this book, and your first book was um, Israel Rising. That's right. And it had also wonderful pictures that really helped one to imagine how it was when Jesus was on earth and how it is today. And there's a lot of similarities. A lot of the structures are still there. Um, you know, it's just, it's phenomenal. And, and you're right. One of, the, one of the significant things as we're talking about Bible prophecy, everyone is coming to Jerusalem. You know, according to mm-hmm. Zechariah, all nations are going to come to worship the king there. And, you know, so I, when I take tour groups there, sometimes we joke about it and say, you know, everybody likes to be ahead of the curve. You yes. know, we're, we're all coming to Jerusalem eventually, <laughs> so you're, you guys yes, are ahead of the curve. Yes. Um, but you're right. It's, it's something that as the city is being restored, uh, it's not only looking back to the things that, that Jesus was interacting with part of the city, but it's also something we can look at now. It's, it's the city is being restored for, uh, you know, for some reason, like, you know, there's a yeah. king that's coming, like, yes. like things are being rebuilt, not just to make it look good again. You know, it's, yes. it's the, the city is getting ready for a king. It is. And I'm looking at the picture now of the lion's gate. And that was uh, the prophecy in Genesis 49, 9 through 10 that connected the tribe of Judah to the Mm. symbol of a lion. And it it looks pretty sad right now. It doesn't look... Yeah, so that that photo you're looking at, again, it's one of the oldest photos of Jerusalem ever taken from 1844. Uh, And again, that's when no one was there. No one was really keeping track of it. Nobody cared about Jerusalem 100, 150 years ago. And today, everyone's fighting over it. Yes. Well, 
we've we've run out of time for this first part, mm-hmm. but on the second part, I'd like to maybe delve in how this could help homeschooling families. There's a great movement now. We'll talk about that more later sure. in tomorrow's interview. We'll have one last thing to say, and that is God bless. You have been listening to Homeschool Companion, a production of MRG Media. Be sure to join us on Facebook. Just type in the name Homeschool Companion. For more on this or to contact us, go to mrgmediaministries.com. That's all one word, mrgmediaministries.com.